your entire company. Your Comparer. Your entire, entire company, company sir. May I say, man? Copper, man? <laughs> you want to design pixels? <laughs> You'll never get me, copper. <laughs> Welcome to episode 264 of the Design Details Podcast. I am Brian Levin, coming at you live from Portland, Oregon. <laughs> well, actually not live. Coming at you alive from Portland, <laughs> Oregon. <laughs> coming at you Five living. Days later, I think. Uh, and I'm Marshall Bach, coming at you pre-recorded from uh, San Francisco. How you doing? Hey, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. I'm headed to uh, Seoul and then Tokyo for for two weeks tomorrow. Oh, right. So we're, we're squeezing this episode in real quick, and then I'll be recording from the road, as it sounds like you are currently. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm currently recording from Portland. So for for you, dear listeners, I think the next few weeks we might we've been recording these remote, but we'll be extra remote with <laughs> on the road rigs and time zone differences, and and we'll we'll figure it out. I think it'll be okay. But, I think we'll both be in Asia at the same time, right? Uh, for one of those weeks, that's right. Yeah, for one week, yeah. Uh, but anyways, we'll, we'll work through and try and keep audio quality and all that sounding good. All right. But anyways, let's get into this episode. Uh, before we get started with, with all the updates and news and questions, we want to thank our sponsors for making this episode possible. This episode is brought to you in part by Asana, a uh, company and product that helps companies and teams work better together and they want your help to help other companies work better uh, and more together -er. it's like inception <laughs> For, forever -er. <laughs> what this means is they're hiring they're looking for product designers and design managers at all levels including super experienced people they want you to join their team and they're going about it in a pretty interesting way so this fall in late october and early november their team will be traveling to chicago and austin and they're going to meet and interview designers in and around those cities three to four days at a time. They're trying to meet the best people, interview them in, in short loops. And if successful, they want to relocate you to San Francisco to start working with the team uh, at their headquarters in SF. They're looking for six people. Uh, they're hiring for six roles and they are willing to help fly people to Austin and Chicago if you don't happen to live in those cities. So this is a huge opportunity, not only if you want to switch up your gig and work at a new company, but also if you want to just try out the interview process without having to come to, all the way to San Francisco if you are in or around Chicago or Austin, uh, October, November is going to be the time. So more information about this can be found at asana.design. That's A-S-A-N-A, -A -A, asana.design. Uh, and there's links at the top. And while you're at Asana.design, you can actually just poke around and see what the team's working on. See, uh, they recently were rated the best place to work in the US. And I'm reading their reviews on greatplacetowork.com. And the, the reviews are basically off the charts, almost all 100% and 99% from uh, employees saying how great of a place it is to work. So looks like a great culture, awesome team. And uh, you can you should poke around uh, while you're at asana.design. Uh, they have their blog post there as well. So you can see some of the, the things the team is working on. So again, go to asana.design if you are looking for a new gig and want to learn more about their upcoming road trip to Chicago in late October and Austin in early November. It's a uh, great cities to do some interviews and also Marshall 
I guess you have some uh, experience in Chicago and, and can attest to how great of an experience it'll be to interview there. Yeah, I had to I had to uh, keep myself from from yelling out Chicago when uh, <laughs> when you mentioned Chicago. <laughs> it was a formative place well, in my life. Well, you you kept yourself from doing it, but then you did it now. So yeah, Chicago snuck <laughs> <laughs> it in. <laughs> Sorry. All right, that's Asana Design. Thank you, Asana, for sponsoring this episode. Yeah, look for links at the top for uh, the road trip info. This episode is also brought to you in part by Envision Studio. Envision Studio is the world's most powerful screen design tool, bringing together designers, prototypers, animators. Envision Studio is the world's most powerful screen design tool that brings together design, prototyping, animation, and collaboration all in one place. Envision Studio is going to help you and your team work and collaborate better together, uh, including non-designers. It brings an entire team together throughout the entire design process, uh, including stakeholders, giving people an easy way to convey their ideas, get stakeholder buy-in, share feedback, uh, and all of this is integrated uh, into the Envision cloud products. So all of your design assets, all of your tooling, all of your prototypes, all in one place and connected to Envision Studio. It's got a seamless workflow to go from the logical steps that it takes to build a product to the next. So design, prototyping, animation, and then getting a stakeholder sign-off. So the entire process is all bundled into Envision Studio, which you can try for free today. It's going to be in early access right now, but it's going to be free forever. So there's no reason to, to not start using it today and join the likes of designers at Zendesk, Uber, uh, Shopify, and more who are already using Envision Studio's uh, products to build the products that we, we use and love every day. So Envision Studio is available at envisionapp.com slash studio. Again, that is in early access free today and free forever at envisionapp.com slash studio studio let's get into the show thanks envision thanks asana but let's do this podcast dude let's do this podcast all right uh anything we need to follow up on from last week i don't think so oh actually i do have one thing, one small thing so I, i'm improperly pronounced michael knepprath's last name oh it's knepprath okay it's like the my K buddy is not silent <laughs> yeah well, i have a buddy named morgan knutson and oh. I, in my head, before I met him, I called him Morgan Knutson or Knutson in my head the entire time. And they're like, oh, no, the K is not silent. Uh, then he stabbed me with a knife. And, and <laughs> <laughs> Bad times all around. So Michael left us an iTunes review uh, and I mispronounced his name. So Michael Knapprath. I hope I'm pronouncing it right this time because my yeah, God, right? <laughs> if we have to go to round three. Uh, thanks for the review. If you haven't left us an iTunes review... Uh, that's super helpful. It helps us move up the charts and helps other people discover the show. So if you have a second, if you've been enjoying design details, or even if this is your first time listening, uh, we'd really appreciate an iTunes review. So thank you to Michael and, and everyone else who is uh, giving us feedback there. Appreciate it. Get to some news. Let's get to some news. Yeah. Uh, you want to start us off with the first one? Sure. Uh, so there's this company called Ugmunk. They make, uh, well, really, it's just like one guy, I think. Yeah. Uh, started think. off as a side project, and uh, he has leveraged it into a, a product company where he makes everything from T-shirts and hats to accessories like rulers. He even did a Kickstarter where he uh, made like a little desk assistant type thing where you can put your phone and pencils and paper and stuff like that. Apparently, uh, this company's been around for 10 years. Time flies. Flies, Brian. That's crazy. Time flies. I, yes. I've, I think I discovered Ugmunk probably in the first or second year of their existence. Yeah, first so or second. Uh, probably year two for me. Yeah, so I feel like I've sort of grown up with Ugmunk watching the products and style and, and watching, I, I follow Jeff on Twitter as well and watching him sort of tweet out yeah. like, what it takes to run an indie business clothing company like this. 
sort of tailored to designers. Yeah, especially, yeah, the one that is so design-centric and quality-oriented. Yeah, Jeff Sheldon is the is the guy. But anyway, so it's been 10 years, and every year uh, he puts out an anniversary set where there's like a shirt and like some other stuff, like a coaster. or It's all like useful designery desk things, but they're all branded with the, that year's symbol. Um, and this year is 10, and it's uh, 10 little dots. And it, uh, he even showed his process of like coming up with that identifier. I don't know if you saw that. No, I missed that. Yeah, he tweeted it out this morning. He He like showed all of his illustrator canvas. It was crazy. Apparently he works kind of messy, but like the amount of work that he had to do is, is just insane. But it's really cool. Check out this, check this out. It's a Ugmonk 10th anniversary set. I think it's the last time he's going to do an anniversary set, probably just because it's so much overhead. But yeah. Um, yeah, family run business. I think it's like he his parents help him and his sister helps him or something with it. Yeah, it's just a cool company. Uh, this isn't an ad. This is just great work. Like they make great products. Uh, they're beautiful, beautiful, well designed. The shirts look great. Uh, they're like minimal and and have great patterns and everything. If you so, live in San Francisco, it's impossible to have gone any amount of time without seeing the mountains shirt. Uh-huh, you know, it's right. like two overlapping triangles. It's everywhere. I see every. I, I see developers wear that shirt. It's like everywhere. Very good, iconic T-shirts and stuff like that. Well, that's also kind of the cool thing about these anniversary sets is they're limited quantities. I think this 10th anniversary set has 200 yep. and that's it. Yep. Yeah, there's only that many ever. Uh, so we'll have a link to that in the show notes. That's Ugmunk, uh, the 10th anniversary set. So well done, Jeff and co on, on the launch and, and the products. Looks great. Love your stuff. Uh, the next bit of news is, is maybe a little bit uh, smaller, but I think it's interesting. Uh, Twitter launched an audio-only broadcasting feature for iOS and Periscope. Uh, let's users create audio-only broadcasts directly from Twitter. Jack Dorsey tweeted this morning, looking forward to what folks do with this. And I think that actually is a pretty interesting tweet because audio-only broadcasts is a lot like a podcast. Hmm. And Oddcast. And odd, odd indeed, Marshall. <laughs> yeah. There's been a, a pattern of moving towards background play for a lot of things. And it, it makes sense for Periscope to kind of recognize that some people might only want to do audio and not have to be looking at the video. But I'm not even sure if Twitter does background play. I don't know. I, I guess this is just a podcast play. I can't think of any other live radio maybe is a better equivalent. Yeah, obviously video, live videos taken off. And then there's been like the augmented live video a la the Twitches of the world, right? Which is like, how do we combine the two? So going audio only, it, like my gut was like, oh, it's kind of a step backwards. Like why would anyone want that versus just audio and video? But uh, obviously I'm missing missing some context on why they would go sort of audio only. And I don't know, maybe there's, there's a play there of like, can we build any sort of like content library that fits in nicely with tweets and, and discovery of replayable, maybe more timeless audio content, like a podcast radio episode style broadcast. I don't know. Is it? Yeah, that, that's, I was having trouble coming up with, an equivalent of it like oh i guess it's kind of like a podcast but then no, no no it's it's basically radio right like it's off of periscope right and the whole point is that it's live it's live audio it's not just like yeah. recorded things podcasts are very edited if you heard the amount of bullshit that we <laughs> cut out of our episodes you would know uh that this would not do well live yeah it would not be very fun yeah although a live show would be pretty fun uh gotta admit but like in person at a venue yes those are but, fun yeah. Yeah. This, this seems to be, I mean, it's just like uh, going live with the normal Periscope only. It's audio only, which that's fucking radio. That's radio. That's what yeah. we call radio. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Interesting move, Twitter. I, I guess I would have to echo Jack and say, interested to see what people do with this. No, looking forward to what folks do with this. <laughs> sure. <Yeah. laughs> I'm Get looking your facts forward. straight. Get your quotes right, Brian. I'm looking forward to what people do with live audio-only broadcasts on Twitter. Cool. Light news week. I think those are kind of the, the things that I noticed and stood out. Well, we said it had such a heavy news week last week that it makes sense to keep it light this time. Because yep. we have some user questions, Brian. We have User some... questions? You mean listener, listener questions? Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Can you tell what I do every day and talk about every day? Uh-huh. We have some customer feedback. I mean, shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, listener questions. Yeah, we've got a couple listener questions this week that we want to dig into. Uh, this first one comes from Robert Spivak. Spivak? Robert Spivak, he's, yeah, SpivR on Twitter. SpivR on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. So he had a, a, a long preamble, but I'll, I'll cut to the question. Uh, and he starts it off saying, I don't mean to be snarky or trolly. Uh, so keep that in mind as I read this. But uh, he says, as, a, in, as an end user and in working with my non-technical customers, typically people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s who do not live and breathe tech or computers, the universal complaint is how horrible the user interface is for big products like Dropbox, YouTube, and Facebook. Why are these products slash services with millions of users and tons of unstaffed designers such a piece of crap to use from the point of view of real world non-Silicon Valley Kool-Aid drinking average users? So I'll try not to take offense to the Kool-Aid drinking. I like purple Kool-Aid. It's the best. Red is also very good. Are you a regular Kool-Aid drinker, actually? Uh, not not in my adult years, but uh, oh. if you if you put a, a a cup of heavily sugared Kool Aid in front of me, I would not not drink it. A cup of heavily sugared anything in front of you, I think you're kind of on that's board. That's true. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. But we we started talking about this offline a little bit, and and we weren't sure what we were going to say. But then we got into a really good discussion about it, so I think we'll we'll talk about it here. So I read the question. You go ahead. Yeah, I, I guess the the context here is I've I've gotten to work on new things and, and build them up over time. And then I've gotten to work on existing things at, at Facebook. And, you know, I wasn't there for forever. And, uh, but I did learn a little bit about why things are the way they are. And it's really, really hard to change things. And mm -hmm. it's much easier to add things. And mm -hmm. I think as things are added, it's usually, I think, approached, at least in Silicon Valley, more often than not, is very iteratively. And so you have lots and lots of products just iterating, chugging away, adding little features, tweaking things, moving things around. And 10 years later, you have a huge, complicated piece of software with stuff that's in place, not necessarily because it looks the best or it's the most logical design designed place for, for a feature to exist, but it's because that's just how it landed, like over 10 years of iteration and people might... Evolution, right? Yeah, people know it. People know that things look bad or work poorly. Well, hopefully not work poorly, but usually it's not worth it to change it because metrics, right? Yeah, I mean, if you look at, say, for example, iOS, right? Like the platform itself, not even an app on it, but if you look at iOS, like the iPhone, the first version of the iPhone had locked apps. You, there was no app store. You couldn't add anything to it. You couldn't even move the apps around on the home screen. Remember this? Yep. It was locked down and very, very straightforward. And almost all of those paradigms that were established in, uh, I guess it was called iPhone OS at the time, iOS 1, have stuck around. Basically, all of that stuff is still there. It looks a little bit different. There's been visual refresh, but essentially everything functions the same. It's only that things have been added on top of it, which is, I think, the point you're getting at. And I would, being a gamer, I would also compare this to, you know, if you played 
Super Mario Brothers on NES back in the day with that rectangular controller you had, or even earlier, like say you played ping, uh, Pong, right? Ping Pong. Say, say, <laughs> say you played, played Ping. Say you played <laughs> the ping. famous precursor to Pong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speaking of Apple, Ping. So oh, uh, say you played, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, say you played Pong. Uh, you, there's like a joystick and literally a button. That's it. You got a joystick and a button. People could figure that out. It's very easy. Fast forward to like PlayStation now. You pick up a PlayStation 4 controller, DualShock 4 or whatever it is now, and there are two joysticks, one for each thumb, and a slurry of buttons, including triggers and shoulder buttons and everything. If you pick that thing up and the last time you touched a controller was an NES controller, you're, you're going to be overwhelmed. And unless you have a sense of curiosity and and a, a, a drive to actually learn how to use it and change your behavior based on those learnings... You're, you're going to be left behind, right? I was also comparing this. I've been playing a lot of uh, Spider-Man. It came out last night. <laughs> I've been playing a lot of Spider-Man. And there's no setup to, to Spider-Man. There's no origin story in this game. And the last couple movies that have come out, there's no origin story because that story has been told so many times that people just assume everybody everyone knows. knows it. Yeah, everybody knows. Yeah, he got bit by a spider and got spider stuff on him. You know, he's like, he can walk on walls and all this stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but nobody, like, to retread that ground would be a waste of time for most people, right? But a two-year-old watching Spider-Man Homecoming for the first time was like, why is this kid able to shoot webs and stuff? Why yeah. is he such a strong boy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Well, how can he crawl on walls? Why can't I do that? Uh, he's just a normal guy. He likes science. <laughs> so yeah, I think I think there's a the escalator or whatever. Like you gotta you gotta get on at the bottom step and stay on long enough to get to the top. And if you're hesitant to get on that bottom step, you're never gonna go up. So like, and if you're starting at the bottom, it takes a while to get here, Brian. Yeah, that's what well, I'm saying. I think that's why this question is interesting because the question was maybe asked a little bit abrasively, sort of saying the. Dropboxes, YouTube's, and Facebooks of the world look horrible verbatim. I don't know if that's true, but yeah, uh, yeah, um, I think that's up for debate. But not perfect for sure. I think there's a little bit of of underneath that trying to understand like why did they get to that place in the first place? And I think it's a really interesting challenge for companies and products like that to design for people that are missing years of technological and design context. Uh, like imagine somebody getting access to the internet for the first time today. How would you teach them to use the web browser and like what a website is and what a link is and how they're all interconnected and what it means to to be secure on the internet. And like there's all these paradigms that, uh, you know, millions and, and billions of people have sort of been indoctrinated into for years and decades. But even mm -hmm. it, it's still relatively short period of time. So there's still going to be many more millions and billions of people with zero context sort of being dropped into, you know, a YouTube or Facebook and being like, holy right. shit, what is all this stuff? How do I even like, what does it mean to click stuff? Right? Like, so, so the way that we solve this at YouTube is we have a special app for like uh, developing countries that is specifically made for them. It's, it's, simpler and it uh and as uh, well it's simpler and in inherently because uh networks aren't as fast there right so like you have to account for that and but also like you, you can't hit them with a bunch of features because uh, you know this whole iteration process people get it here because it's been built upon but if you're encountering it for the first time it's just super confusing so i i'm i'm sympathetic to it absolutely but i think it just takes some some curiosity especially if you're in an already developed country with with a, a long history of technological fluency yeah you, you're gonna have to catch up it's like starting a new company there's like three to six months of ramp up time you have to expect it yeah but, um, i mean we could be doing things but the reason that they i mean 
I can only speak for for Google, and I shouldn't even speak for Google, but like I I know that at many large companies. Well, I'll say this. So when I when I first started at YouTube. I was like, this could be so much better. I can't wait to improve upon things and and change all this stuff. There's got to be a better way, right? There's got to be a better way. And as soon as I start, as I started and and got to learn the interface and got to learn like why things are the way they are, the more you realize that everything is exactly the way it needs to be. Because if you change anything, metrics immediately drop, things go down, people get really pissed off because they can't figure out where things are. You move anything, and it hurts. It hurts. And yeah, maybe maybe they're horrible, but like people know how to use them. Like, and as soon as you change stuff, it's it's the end of the world. So yeah, it's like this conundrum that is self fulfilling, and like, well, it it almost seems doomed to repeat itself. Is that these things will get built and have so much cultural context built into them that the only on ramp is like a new light version of the app like the youtube lights messenger light facebook light google light like all these things get stripped down and they become this on-ramp to the broader experience and you know i i would also say to the the original question like most designers at these big companies are certainly at, at facebook like a lot of people knew that there was bad stuff like yeah. most designers open facebook and they're like there's a lot of imperfect things that i'm looking at but if i had to evaluate the priority of fixing those imperfect things versus solving new more complicated more impactful problems you only have so much time in the day and maybe it's just more worth it to or more you know beneficial for the company to just go work on the new thing than it is to polish up some confusing experience that exists today because it maybe just doesn't matter yeah certainly from a stakeholder and and um roadmap stamp standpoint you always have to move forward otherwise you know stock price gets hurt right so, yeah but lots of political aspects to it yeah mm -hmm. yeah there's i mean there's a ton of reasons why things are the way they are but i am sympathetic to your point i i get it at the same time i would say my my parents i think are a good example of this they're in their 60s and they are not curious when it comes to learning new interfaces, but every time I go home for Christmas, I show them a few new things and they pick up on it and they start using those things, right? Like for example, they didn't know a couple years ago, I told them that you could uh, tap and hold on a text field, text area, and it gives you a little magnifying glass that pops up and you can put your input. They would, they would like type something and mess up like two sentences ago and delete everything to go back to that one typo and then continue typing. And since then, like, you know, you teach them that little stuff and then you teach them more stuff. Now my mom uses a swipe keyboard, like the uh, G board. She uses a swipe keyboard because it's like so much faster and she she's a medical transcriptionist. She's like a super speedy typer on a regular keyboard. But when it comes to a phone keyboard, she, you know, it's like, you know, trying to play piano with oven mittens on. So um, oven mitts, oven mittens. Oven mittens. Yeah. <laughs> yes, oven mittens. It's when you're cooking outside in the winter. Yes. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I think that I think it's partially due to companies needing, well, it's companies making assumptions about the user, which might be wrong. Companies needing to continue to move forward and also forking off their their products to a, a light version, like Brian was mentioning. And also, I think the onus is a little bit on the user a little bit to, to have some curiosity and, and try to learn new things and then incorporate that knowledge and, and build upon it moving forward. But you yeah. got to start somewhere, right? Companies can only go far with onboarding tutorials tool for tips. every tiny tool tips that yeah. never get That's the other uh, thing is like people don't fucking read. People if there's one thing I've learned in my entire career is that people don't scroll, people don't tap on tabs, and people don't fucking read. 
Uh, you can, <laughs> which is why when you see these these like tool tips or like uh, like an onboarding flow or something, there's usually a big pretty picture and then like a, a couple sentences below. People don't read those sentences. Nobody reads that Ever. shit. People look at that picture, and if that picture isn't fully indicative of the of the feature that you're trying to describe, people will scroll past it. People don't even look at that paginated thing, anyways. They look at page one. If there's a skip button, they tap on that skip button and they go into the app and then they're confused, right? But like that's that's just how it is, right? Yeah. So if there's one thing I've learned in my entire career, uh, tips to you new designers: people don't fucking read. So if you're relying on something, if you if a feature relies upon someone reading text. In order to understand it, you've already failed. You're in big trouble, which yeah, is... Uh, it's a sad truth, but it's true. Yeah, that like feeds into the original problems. Like, why are interfaces confusing? Well, fuck, nobody reads interfaces. So we're, we're having to come up with all these different paradigms and tricks and colors and buttons and tool tips and boxes to like... Uh, and, and our talking before, you mentioned the save icon. Like, save I- the, the floppy disk doesn't mean shit to anybody, right? Yeah. But you learn what it means, right? You learn what right. the glyph signifies so yeah if you just and nobody tells you that it's safe you're you're a 12 year old kid or something you've probably never seen a floppy in your entire life but once you get the meme that like okay that means save now it's set and anytime you see that floppy disk that means save yeah i i think the interesting thing about the save too is like can we just go beyond it like do we even need save buttons anymore like everything's auto saved that's a good point i remember seeing an exploration years ago, probably three or four years ago, maybe longer, of people trying to figure out, like, what is a good new save glyph? Yeah. And the options are not great, right? It's basically a bunch of arrows and these kind of vague concepts that if you know that, if you already know that it means save, you can go, oh, yeah, yeah, I guess that fits. But you would never get save from it. You know, it's a tough problem across the board getting new people to understand interfaces and also account for people who don't need to be talked down to, don't need to be handheld, who can you know, have been using this stuff for years, power users that are, are just hardcore and expect uh, innovation, expect newness, right? Yeah. It's a tough balance. I don't know. It's probably not a great answer, but sorry, Robert, yeah. but... Hard answer. The onus is on both of us. Yeah. So going back to the one thing that you could say you learned in your career uh, is a nice little segue into our next question, which comes from Sam Chang. Twitter handle, Sam Chang sucks. Uh, Sam, don't do it to yourself. Sam. Don't do that. We think you're awesome. You don't suck. I I mean, I don't know you, but like I I I'm positive of it, though. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So be nice on yourself. First off. Change your Twitter handle. Sam Chang rocks. Uh, Sam Chang asks... I've been trying to understand how to provide value as a relatively inexperienced designer and mentioned uh, from a, a previous episode of Design Details that we, we had with Bob Baxley back in the day that uh, I think he mentioned it takes around a year for a new designer to start providing value for a company. So Sam asks what our thoughts are on providing value early on as an inexperienced designer. So I think from from my point of view on this one is if you are a new designer or or you're just new to a company, I think a good way to ramp up and provide value is to unblock people working on things that are already in motion. Uh, that can be maybe small tasks like not super significant stuff like organizing mocks or fixing a pixel or prepping something for a presentation like it could be something kind of shitty but i think the point of it it 
is providing value to people so that you can start building relationships within the organization so that you can start building product context of like, here's the things that are happening that people are working on. And here's some of the decisions that are being made so that you ramp up into understanding why things are the way that they are. I think that's hugely valuable for like a new designer in general, but also just any, any designer in general, but also new designers to just kind of get the chance to watch what other people are working on. And, and, you know, you can kind of do a little bit of grunt work. Like I spent a long time doing grunt work and it was super valuable to gather context and, and get a chance to work with people in sort of a low stakes way, right? Like if you fuck up adjusting a pixel on an icon, like it's not the end of the world. So it's, it's a low stakes way to, to help and build context and unblock people and build relationships. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Yeah, you, you made a really good point about like turning a mock into a deck, right? That So I just hired a, a new designer onto my team and she's amazing. She's awesome. And part of why she has been so helpful is because she's doing these little things that I don't have time or bandwidth for that are supremely helpful. It doesn't require to ha- her to have a huge institutional knowledge of everything the team has ever done, but it, it is certainly helpful and, like you said, helps unblock people. And that that's that, that's kind of the other thing is like building up that institutional knowledge. I think there's a, a kind of an accepted like three to six months ramp up period for most companies of, right. of, of getting people up to speed. And part of that three to six months is familiarizing yourself, like you said, with the team, getting your face in front of everybody else's faces, letting them know that you exist and that you're there to help and learning about what happened in the past on the team or in the company, uh, what has worked, what hasn't worked. And this is this is what makes people who've been there for a while valuable is that they have all this institutional knowledge and can do more than just their job. They can actually contribute to the uh, the roadmap as far as like uh, knowing where the product needs to go based on where it's been, etc. So yeah, basically everything that Brian said, plus just uh, get yourself out there in front of people and build yeah. your knowledge. I, I think a short story on that that comes to mind from my uh, stint at Facebook was it just reminds me like value as a designer can come in a lot of ways. So I think when you're asking, how do I provide value as an inexperienced designer? I think it's important to remember that value doesn't have to be pixels and prototypes and beautiful products. Like there's a lot of value in being able to bridge gaps between teams. There's a lot of value in being able to distill institutional knowledge and product history into in, in a way that new teams or, or, or other new people can easily understand. So for example, uh, at Facebook, I, I built up a lot of relationships across a lot of different teams, which meant that when, and I worked on payments, which meant that when a new product wanted to build something with payments at Facebook, I just had institutional knowledge just from talking to a lot of people. I was like, oh yeah, well, this other team tried this one thing a few months ago. This other team tried this one thing. They had these results with these metrics. And that is valuable to the company. Like it's it's valuable to help people make decisions faster, uh, have to ask fewer questions. And none of that requires spending time in Sketch and making really nuanced prototypes. It's just about sharing knowledge and helping other people make decisions faster. So I think building up that kind of knowledge and, and unblocking people is a great way to go about doing that. Yeah, and the knowledge will come, right? Like, you know, stick around and pay attention. You'll be fine. Yeah. So Sam, you don't suck. You're doing great. <laughs> Sam Chang, you do not suck. That was a great question with a less great answer, but uh, <laughs> you're just fine. Stop worrying about it. Cool. Ch- change uh, your handle. Change your handle, damn it. Uh, do you have any cool things, Brian? 
Yeah, I do. So this is not a new thing, but it's a cool thing. So if you don't know Rasmus Anderson, he's he's a uh, designer currently at Figma. Uh, he's friend of the pod and he's been on the show before if you want to go back and listen to his episode but he has a project that he's been working on for quite some time i actually don't know the the timeline on it but i know it's been in progress for quite a while if i'm i'm looking at his his github repo for this project and it's over a year so quite a while uh, but it's called InterUI, which is a font family that he's been designing from scratch, which is a font family, a typeface specifically designed for user interfaces with a focus on high legibility of small to medium-sized text on computer screens, which is such a great focused way of describing exactly why this typeface exists. And it's it's great. It's beautiful and it's open source. So Rasmus has all of the code for this on GitHub. So people have been contributing to it. He's been sharing product updates to it, product updates like iterations on, on glyphs and when he adds new glyphs and how he is modifying old glyphs. Uh, it's been a fascinating project to watch and I'm totally envious of you know how much knowledge and and know how it takes to freaking design a typeface from scratch but it's great so the inter ui font family we'll have a link to that in the show notes but it's rsms.me slash inter so i'm looking at the i'm not a type guy despite having beat you on that uh ariel versus helvetica uh, yeah kind of thing i'm last having time. a lot of people rub that one in uh-huh. uh, on twitter so thanks everyone <laughs> Uh, but despite my clear superiority to you when it comes to typography, uh-huh. I do not consider myself a typography person. Like I'm, I'm not not good. Not only is it something I'm not super passionate about it, but also I'm not very good at it in general. Like type people are crazy to me in a good way, and I'll never be that way. Uh, sadly, my brain don't work that way. But this looks really nice to me for what it's worth. And he's put. Like you're saying, you put so much work into this. I'm looking at all the um, contextual alternatives and I guess contextual alternates is what it's called. Like turning, for example, a hyphen hyphen right chevron into an arrow, you know, or like one hyphen versus two hyphens. There's an at symbol that changes based on whether the characters surrounding it are capitalized or not like this level of detail is pretty freaking cool for example uh, i think san francisco does this where they if there's a number on either side of a colon it raises the colon to be centered instead of baseline aligned all this stuff is really cool and just shows how much passion and effort went into making this typeface yeah i'm super impressed <laughs> and Jeez. and the, of course in in rasmus fashion he has this like customizer interface where you can actually go on there and play around with all the variants and like throw in some different variables to see exactly how the font uh, or the type would look given these these different constraints so as far as a learning exercise just poking around the site because i don't know much about type i'm not a type person but it's it's fun obviously it's it's very fun to see and learn about like here's all the different ways that uh rasmus had to think through this this typeface like some of the variables here like obviously letter spacing and line height he's he has to consider all transformations you know capitalization lowercase uh full width I don't know, full width letters mono you mean mono uh not mono oh not what are you talking space. about full width i don't know what that means i'm just i'm literally just clicking through the like oh. lab interface <laughs> okay underlined overlined line through wavy underlined like there's just so many considerations for all these things which is is super fun to to learn about so yeah oh my god i clicked on glyphs and there's a whole grid of like every cyrillic character and all this man this is so much work good god i can't imagine good god indeed uh you should go poke around well done Rasmus, of course. Good choice brian what a what a cool thing to have shared with us <laughs> that's pretty neat <laughs> 
I approve. So my cool thing, I, I mentioned it in passing, I think a couple episodes during the Ihani episode, but this thing, it works really well with the other cool thing I shared called Moom. This thing is called Stay. It's by a little company that I don't know really anything about called Cordless Dog. But the value of this thing is that it's a Mac utility. It just lives in your menu bar. It's not even like an, a dock app. And it sits in the background and it waits for your display setup to change. So for example, if you have a desk setup with a laptop and an external monitor, you can have one layout for your windows. And then when you unplug from the external monitor and just have a laptop, it can remember how your windows should be laid out on your lap uh, and just your laptop. So when you plug in to different setups, it will reconfigure the windows as you had them configured. You can basically like lay them out however you want to, which works really well with Moom to create nice little grids of everything. And then you basically say like, remember where everything is or remember where the specific app is and how it looks. And then next time you plug in with that specific setup, it will, everything will go back where it's supposed to, which is great for a person like me who gets up and sits down from their desk multiple times a day. It's outstanding. And I'm not sure how much it costs. $15. So it is not free. It it is also not cheap. I think it's, yeah, it's $15. However, I have gotten at least $15 of use of of value out of this thing. And if you're someone with a little bit of uh, disposable income and can absorb $15 for a little Mac utility, I would highly recommend it. It has helped keep me sane. If Marshall spends three seconds Five times a day adjusting the windows on his app, mm-hmm, on his mm-hmm. Mac. At what number of days does $15 become profitable? Yeah, well, you got to figure out my hourly rate first and then <laughs> yeah, yeah. do a little <laughs> the, bit of... The cost per second of Marshall adjusting windows. Probably <laughs> staggeringly high. Uh-huh. Up and to the right. Uh, <laughs> cool. Uh, stay looks great. Yeah, stays, stays. And I, I really feel like stay and Moom together, like neither is as value. Like the sum is greater than the parts uh, with these two utilities. Super awesome. I love going back to our earlier user question about why is software so horrible and complicated and becoming so bloated on all these huge apps. I, I love these little tiny single use single purpose utility apps that live on uh, iOS or, or Mac that they do one thing, it just does it well, doesn't break, and you pay a few bucks for it. Like there's something really, really satisfying about having a handful of those that make your life better. And then you never, ever worry about it. Like it's pretty obvious if you look at Stay that it's probably not updated too much. Maybe nope. each each yeah. version of Mac OS, but like they're Super not old. <laughs> adding a shit ton of features and like complicating things. It's just like, here's the thing that you're paying for. And then you never have to worry about it again, ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's Great. like bug faces, bug fixes to make sure that it works on the newest OSs. But other than right. that, it's like, yeah, it basically hasn't changed. And it doesn't need to because it does one thing and it does that one thing well. I, I think to, to extend this a little bit, I think there's a, a larger pattern that's starting to emerge of apps that don't have an interface. I feel like I listened to a TED, not a TED Talk, but I listened to a, a lecture or something recently where someone was talking about apps without interfaces. But maybe it's a Medium article. Most things are Medium articles. I don't know, whatever. Right. But I think with uh, iOS 12 and Siri shortcuts coming out, we're going to see a lot more apps. And even I'm thinking about this of like an app that you never open other than when you install it 
and set it up for the first time. Like after that, it just figures out when you need it and appears on your lock screen or in your notification right. center just with smart Siri shortcuts or, or suggestions based on your location or the time or your past behavior or whatever. I'm really looking forward to, to this enabling a ton of utility for smaller apps that, like you said, just do one thing and do it well and you never actually like go into them or anything. It's just it meets you where you need it. I agree. Which is yeah. a really hard problem to solve because you have to get that fucking perfect. You have to like mm-hmm. know your user really, really well, which is, I think is a hard part. But the platform is there now or it will be in a couple of weeks. So I can't I can't wait to see what the future looks like with with Siri suggestions. Indeed. Yep. All right. Well, another one in the can, Bri boy. Another one down. That was 264. Thank you so much to Sarah and Drew for editing uh heavily this episode uh we, we worked our way through it thank you to the to the to, thank you to the listener for putting up with our terrible audio while we are recording remotely hopefully we'll try and keep the quality up but hopefully you'll forgive us if if it uh, dips a little bit here and there yeah so thank you sir and drew and thank you listeners and also thank you to asana and envision studio for making this episode possible Asana is hiring product designers and design managers at all levels. They're looking for six folks to join their team in San Francisco, but they're going to be traveling to Chicago and Austin. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) Chicago and Austin in October and November, and they want to meet you. They want to interview you, and they want you to join their team at uh, one of the best places to work in the U.S. as rated uh, by by someone in 2018. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You can learn more at asana.design.com. Uh, they have some links at the top to this this road trip tour they're taking to find designers uh, just like you. Uh, again, they're looking for product designers and design managers to join their team. So go to asana.design. Thank you, Asana, for sponsoring the podcast. And of course, thank you to Envision Studio, the world's most powerful screen design tool bringing together design, prototyping, animation, and collaboration all in one place. It's going to change the way product teams and, and product designers build products. You should try it right now for free. It's an early access, but it's going to be free forever. Forever, ever, ever at envisionapp.com slash studio. That's envisionapp.com slash studio. Thank you, Envision Studio and Asana for making this episode possible. Yeah, thanks, you two. You're making it possible. You're making it happen. Making dreams come true. (laughs) Yep. My dreams, at least. I don't know about yours, but (laughs) hopefully everyone's dreams. Uh, if you want more dreams and, and, and voices in your head, go to spec.fm. We've got lots more podcasts for your ears, uh, all shows for designers and developers just like you. That's at spec.fm. And of course, if you want to follow along, we're on Twitter at designdetailsfm, or you can join our community at spectrum.chat slash specfm. If you uh, enjoyed this episode and have been enjoying the show, we'd also really, really appreciate an iTunes review. So if you have a second, uh, we love those reviews. We love reading them and getting feedback there. So if you have a second, uh, leave us an iTunes review and we will read it and learn from it and love it. So thank you to people doing that. Otherwise, we will see you next week. Bye. You just got to do this like horrible, (laughs) elongated goodbye every time. (laughs) Why? No one listens this long. I know. Nobody's (laughs) listening to this. If this is in the episode, literally zero people will hear these Uh words. (laughs) If you hear hear this, tweet at us.
Let us know you kept listening. Let's take a bet on the number of people that tweet us that they heard these words. Yeah, this is like the this is like the track ninety nine on a CD or like you know the yeah. secret song after the last song after like five minutes of silence. I'll bet I'll bet you uh, a can of Coca Cola that okay. nobody tweets us that they listen to this. I, all right, if this is a showcase showdown situation, then I I bet that uh, at least one person. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. At least one person, and you win. Zero people, I win. Mm-hmm. Coca Cola is on the line. This is a big deal. Real stakes. All right. Bye. <laughs> Bye for real. <laughs>